All right, guys, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Drew. I am the lead pastor of Salt City Church, and I get the privilege of speaking to you guys, and I always love coming out to uh, Salt Company and getting a chance to get some time with you. And tonight, we're starting a new book of the Bible called Ephesians. And if you'll hang around Salt City, our church family, our Salt Company, our college ministry for any length of time, what you'll realize is we're not that creative. We just open up books of the Bible and teach right through them. And I believe this has like a more creative title than I usually come up with. If I come up with it, it'll just be called Ephesians. But this one is called United in Christ. And we're just going to walk right through this book. So if you would, open with me to the book of Ephesians. We're starting in chapter 1. And we're going to read the first 14 verses. And something that you should notice about these 14 verses is Paul, the writer of this letter, introduces himself And then verses 3 through verse 14 are one huge run-on sentence. All right, here we go. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. And that sentence, the way I would try to capture what Paul is saying to us, is he's saying that he wants to give us a new perspective on how to live life. And what's compelling about Paul is that he practiced what he preached. So he's writing this letter from a Roman prison. He is in prison for sharing the good news about Jesus with people as a church planter all throughout the world. And so he's now telling the people of Ephesus what his perspective is that has gotten him through it. And he says there's a different way to live than the way that we normally live. The way I would summarize it is that we normally live in certain circumstances and in certain ways that orient our mind around the things of this world. So we live in Minneapolis. We live in our dorm We live in our family. We live in our circumstances. And we can't help but live 
in those things. But Paul says, in addition to living in the place and the circumstances that you are, I want you to learn what it looks like to live in Christ. In those 14 verses, Paul mentions this phrase, in him or in Christ, eight times. Sort of the theme of the entire chapter. And I would say what he's getting across to us is that to be truly free, you must live in Christ. To be in Christ is to find true freedom in life. And the first kind of freedom he wants us to have is freedom from our past. So people get trapped in their past all the time, right? People believe, I'm a loser, or I'm washed up, or I've messed up, or I've done too much in my past for God to love me or for anyone else to love me. Or people get caught up in their past in a positive way. So I was the captain of the football team, or I was the homecoming queen, or I was a valedictorian of my high school. And so we can look back at our past and be shaped either negatively or positively by our past. But if we're focused in our past, what begins to happen is we begin to look back and either have a negative perception of ourselves, or we look back and think about the good old days and get depressed about our present moment. And what Paul's saying is, if you want to be free from your past, either negatively or positively, the way to be freed from your past is to orient your past not in your achievements, the good things that you've done, or in your sins, the negative things you've done, or in the sins that have been done against you, orienting yourself as a victim, but actually to orient yourself around who God says that you are as a child of God and a believer in Jesus. Here's how Paul puts it. Starting in verse 4 again, he says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So get this, if you are a believer in Jesus... What's true of you is that God chose you in Jesus before the foundation of the world. Before you had done anything wrong, before you had any negative record in your past, God chose you. Which means... That nothing that you've done wrong can exclude you from the family of God. But it's also true that God chose you before the foundation of the world, which means that your achievements or your performance can't make God love you anymore. He goes on to clarify what he means 
by choosing you before the foundation of the world, by adding this word that trips some people up called predestination. He says, in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons. Predestination is not hard to understand. It's hard to wrap our minds around, but it's not difficult to understand what the word actually means. It means that God predetermined your destiny. He predetermined that you, as a believer in Jesus, would be destined to be his child forever. In other words, you're saved because God first chose you. Yes, you make a real choice. You placed your faith in Jesus. You trusted in him. But the reason that you made that choice is because he first chose you. So the question becomes, why did God do it this way? And he gives two answers in this passage. The first answer is that God chose us according to the purpose of his will. Later on in the passage in Ephesians, it says that he chose us according to the counsel of his own will. So here's what happened. Before the foundation of the world, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit had a meeting, and they decided who would be the children of God. And they didn't invite you to the meeting. They didn't think that your opinion was important when they were making that decision. They predetermined your destiny according to the counsel of their own will. Which is really good news because God's the smartest person in the universe. And who are we to question him? I'd rather have him make the decision than me make the decision because I don't trust myself, but I trust him. The Bible says that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so far are his thoughts and his ways above our thoughts and ways. So we can trust him. It's according to the purpose of his own will. And the second reason that God chose us in Jesus before the foundation of the world and predestined us is to the praise of of his grace. In other words, he did it this way, not based on human achievement or human merit or based on anything about us or in us or looking forward to who we would be or what we would be like and what we would do so that we would look at his decision and we would know that it was this foreign concept called grace, that it was un deserved favor so that the bottom answer to the question why would God ever love me is because he loves me God is love and so he didn't choose you based on your performance which totally reorients your past around a new focus, not around your performance, not around what you did well in the past or what you did poorly in the past, but your whole life can be oriented around grace so that you don't have to see yourself as a victim anymore, as a success anymore, as a failure anymore, but instead 
you can just see yourself as loved. Beloved of God. You know, people get in theological arguments about passages like this all the time. I was one of them. But you know what? This passage isn't written for us to have a theological argument about. It's written to the saints. It's written from a father who loves his kids and wants to tell them that he loved them even before they were born, before they had done anything good or evil. You know, I was on a walk with my daughter, Hazel. I have five kids. You can pray for me in COVID. Ages uh, 11, 9, twin seven-year-olds, and a four-year-old, okay? So I asked one of my twins, who was having kind of a bad attitude, if she wanted to go on a walk with me. She's already in her PJs. And she said no. And so I said, well, then I'm going to ask your sister. And she said, I, I don't know how to make this decision. I don't know how to make this decision. I don't know how. And I said, it sounds like you made a decision. So I asked her sister. And so I took Hazel out on a walk. She's in her PJs. And I'm in my sweats. And we're just walking around the neighborhood. She was wearing, It was so cute. She was wearing like Christmas PJs with snow boots on. And I was walking around the neighborhood. And I just said to Hazel, it just came to my mind and my heart. I just said, Hazel, do you know that I loved you before you were even born? I just love to tell my kids that. Like, I remember when you were in mom's tummy. And I loved you. Why am I telling my kids that? Because I want them to know as they're struggling with their homework or they're not that good at soccer or they're doing really good in this area or that area, I want them to know with all my heart as their dad, my love for you is not based on your performance in any way. What I'm telling Hazel is, I loved you when you were baby B. When you get your, your ultrasound of your twins, you get baby A and baby B, and Hazel was baby B, and as soon as I laid my eyes on that like awkward shape in the womb, I was in love. I just love my little girl. And God wants you to know tonight that he loves you like that. Before the foundation of the world, he chose you, not on the basis of anything about you, positive or negative, but because he loves you. That's how you get freedom in your past. So second question, how do you get freedom in the present? All right, so some of us, we get hung up on our past, right? We're hung up on the negative things that we've done or hung up on our performance in the past, but some of us are hung up in the present. We're trying to establish an identity for ourselves right now. And the way that our society tells us that we get freedom is you look inside of yourself and whatever you decide that you want to be, you just go out and you do it. Just be the person that you want to be. And do you know what that creates in all of us? Incredible insecurity 
an incredible fear and what the Bible calls slavery. Because the things that we want to do, our desires, it turns out, tend to be destructive. They don't come through with what we thought they would give to us. And our performance is never enough. So we try and try and try, whether it's academically or to be physically attractive or to be good at a sport, and we put all of our chips on the table in that one area and we give ourselves to that. Maybe you have more traditional values and you're running after the approval of your family your dad or your mom, and you're trying and you're trying and you're trying in the present moment, and what you're trying to achieve is freedom, but what you're getting is more and more slavery. It turns out that the more you try, the less you achieve actual freedom. And so Paul speaks to us, Again, and he says in verses 5 through 9, he says, In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. So here's what's true of you in the present. If you've trusted in Jesus, you are no longer a slave. You are a son of God. Some of you ladies out there are like, why did he put sons? Doesn't God have any daughters? And there's a purpose. The reason that he put son is because the son was the heir in the family. When the dad died, the daughter didn't get anything in Roman society. The son got the inheritance. And so he's saying, males and females, slave and free, no matter what the color of your skin is, you are a son of God, which means you're not a slave anymore, which means you can get off the performance track and you can enjoy the pleasure of your father right now. What does that look like? Forgiveness of your trespasses. If you trespass, you cross a known boundary. There's tons of them. There's all sorts of rules in the Bible, like over 600 of them. And we're breaking those rules all the time. And what happens when we break those rules is that we incur guilt. Do you know what the answer to the question, why do I feel guilty all the time is? Because you are. So am I. Because there's a real, personal God who exists, and he is ultimate reality, and we sin against him 
all the time. And here's what's different about God in contrast to our culture. Our culture is outraged by our sins, shames us in our sins, rubs it in our face, tweets about our sins, videotapes our sins, and plasters them for everybody to see. You better not mess up in our culture because they will make you feel it and they want you to bleed. And here's what God did. Instead of making you bleed, he sent his son to bleed. And he made the greatest viral video of all time. He threw him up on the cross and made a public display. People spit on him and they mocked him. And the reason that he did that is because that is what we as human beings deserve. And here's what we need to know in the present is that on the basis of what Jesus has done on the cross, God forgives us. His forgiveness is not cheap because our sin deserves to be punished. But our sin is free, because, or our, our forgiveness is free because Jesus paid the price of our sin on the cross. So here's what freedom in the present moment looks like for a Christian. A continual coming back to God and saying, I messed up again. I need your forgiveness. God, I know that I'm your child. And I know that I have this tendency to run to my own performance and do my own thing and get back on the treadmill again. And I'm tired of that life. I'm tired of being enslaved. I just want to be your child. It looks like a relationship with God, a God of love, a God who loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you so that the message of Christianity is not shame on you, it's shame off you. At the cost of his son, God rescued you to bring you into his family. Now, of my five kids, my oldest two are adopted from the Democratic Republic of Congo. And in the process of adopting them, my wife and I went through a three-year adoption process. And to actually bring them home, I went to the Democratic Republic of Congo for what I thought would be a two-week trip, which was, by the way, just 25 days after my twin girls were born. So we went from zero to four kids in two months, which I do not recommend to anyone. <laughs> and so went to the Democratic Republic of Congo, thought I was going to be a, there a couple weeks, was there for 40 days. Found out that my daughter had tuberculosis and malaria. My son had parasites and malaria. And it was awful. But I had this reflection when I was in the Congo, I realized that those 40 days were the worst 40 days of my life, but were the best 40 days up to that point of my adopted kids' lives. Why? Because I was starting to bear the cost of them being orphans. 
I was there to rescue them. I wasn't there for myself. I was there for them. And so when I start to talk about these things, I start to think about that. And I start to, I've started to tell people when they ask me, why did you adopt these kids? And I say, if God could adopt me into his family at the price of his son, this is the least that I can do for somebody else. That's what God's done for you. He's adopted you into his family, not so that you could be a slave to shame and performance, but that so you could be free to be his child. So God wants us to have freedom from our past. He wants us to have freedom in the present, and he wants us to have freedom in the future as well. Now think about freedom. For freedom to be true freedom, it has to last. Have you ever been tricked by a promise of freedom that turns out to not be freedom at all? Have you ever thought that that sexual experience would bring you freedom only to wake up the next day and just be like, why did I do that? What was I thinking? And what promised you freedom actually brought you into more slavery. Sure, it was fun in the moment, but the fun didn't last. And so you would say, on further reflection, that it didn't provide you with real freedom. Or maybe it was some material possession. You saved up for so long for that newest iPhone, and you finally got it, and then you were being mindless, and you dropped it in the toilet. And, and so what promised you freedom just fizzled out right in front of you. Some of you, this is hitting way too close to home right now. <laughs> yes, I did. Don't rub it in, dude. So material possessions, they can offer us this freedom, like, oh, I'm going to have this awesome thing. But then it turns out that they don't last very long. Or, or they, the newer iPhone comes out, or the newer thing comes out, and then ours doesn't look so great anymore, and so there's no freedom in having that newest thing. And so to have true freedom, we have to have freedom that lasts. But it seems like when we look around, that the freedoms that we've tried don't last at all. And so Paul draws us into the freedom that we have in the future in the gospel freedom that lasts. In verse 13 and 14, he says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Okay, so we hear the gospel. We hear the good news about Jesus, this good news that we've been talking about tonight, that Jesus came, died in our place on the cross for our sins, that he rose from death. He offers us new life, not because of what we can do, but because of what he has done. And what happens when we believe that message is God, the Holy Spirit, comes and lives in us. 
And when God the Holy Spirit comes to live in us, we taste soul freedom for the first time. We experience what we have been looking for all of our days, but have never found in the things of this world. And we wonder if that freedom that we experience as Christians is like every other freedom that we've tasted. It'll be here today, but it will be gone tomorrow. And here's what Paul says. The freedom is a seal. It's a promise. It's a down payment guaranteeing our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Here's why that's good news. Because the down payment of the inheritance that we're going to possess is such an amazing gift that it guarantees the future possession. Here's what I mean. In the Old Testament, God sent the prophets to speak to people. And what you find out over and over again in the Old Testament is these prophets, although they're awesome, godly men, were also jacked up people. Moses disobeyed God. He didn't get to go into the promised land. Noah, after he got off the ark, got drunk and naked and passed out. I don't, there's a bunch of weirdos in the Old Testament. You should read it sometime. It's really interesting. But you get these prophets, and they're, and they're telling people that the Messiah is going to come. But you're looking at the messenger, and you're like, can I really trust this guy? And so what God did to guarantee our inheritance was he sent the Holy Spirit not to speak to us, but to live in us. And so here's what the Holy Spirit does in the life of a Christian when we tune in and we listen, he reminds us that our inheritance is absolutely secure, that we can never lose it. And we don't always hear his voice. We're not always tuned into him. But you know what I'm talking about, Christian. You know when you've been in your right mind and you've been listening to God and maybe it's happening in you right now, like the Holy Spirit is testifying to you, this is true. My inheritance is guaranteed. It's coming. And if it's coming, and it's going to last forever, then the Holy Spirit, what he is guaranteeing to us, is true freedom. Okay, think about this illustration. Imagine if Bill Gates showed up at your door, right? Bill Gates shows up at your door. It's not somebody from the Bill Gates Foundation. That would be like an Old Testament prophet, okay? This is, this is Bill Gates himself. He shows up at your door and he says, I guarantee you that in two weeks, you're going to get a check in the mail for $1 billion from me. Now, if somebody from the Bill Gates Foundation or supposedly from the Bill Gates Foundation showed up at your door, you'd be like, this is a joke. This is not going to happen. But if it's Bill Gates himself, you would believe it. Because the messenger guarantees the message. And if God has come to live in us and he is testifying to us, 
that true freedom is not only ours now, but is guaranteed to us in the future, then we can trust the message. It's true. And what will that inheritance be like? Let me just give you a window into our inheritance to come. Isaiah 51, 11 through 12 says this. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. I, even I, am he who comforts you. This is our inheritance, guys. What we have now, at best, is a foretaste of what's to come. We experience it sometimes at Salt Company or in our personal reading of the Bible or when we're on a prayer walk or when we're on a retreat. We get this taste of what the freedom that we have will be. But one day, isn't that amazing? Sorrow and sighing will flee away. They'll be gone. And God himself will comfort us. And we will be overtaken with joy. This is going to be like, laugh so hard that the pop comes out your nose kind of joy. This is going to be amazing. Like your chest hurts. You've had those moments. And that is going to last forever. That's our inheritance. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this passage of scripture that reminds us where true freedom is found. Because we're so often deceived into thinking that the things of this world can satisfy us. Would you use this message in our lives this week to take the blinders off that we wouldn't believe the lies and the deception, but instead we would trust in and cling to your truth, that our hearts would be filled with joy as we look forward to the inheritance that we have in Christ, that we would enjoy our present adoption and sonship, and that we would look back and know that you've always loved us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.